This podcast is sponsored by 5E Leadership and Marketing, providing education, empowerment, economic vision, and equity to your business journey. Visit us at latinasb2b.marketing to learn more. Gracias. I love what I do, but I want to inspire more. I want that 2014 me at the Grace Hopper celebration. I want to see more people that look like me. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is the podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Today, my guest is Andrea Delgado Olson, Executive Director of Natives in Tech and descendant of the Miwok tribe located here in California. Andrea began her tech journey through Mills College here in the Bay Area with an undergraduate degree in child development and then a master's in computer science. Her curiosity began with an interest in web development that took her on a path to working at anitab.org. And then her journey led her to Natives in Tech. She is representative of Natives in the digital world and the indigenous communities where our stories will not be erased and we will be heard. Welcome, Andrea, to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. This is a very special time of year, and I always look upon this month of November as something that a lot of people take for granted not knowing the true meaning. And so having community represented during this time is really important. It's also known as a time of mourning around Thanksgiving, which many people don't know about. And there's a lot of history there. But I'm glad that I found you through the technology world because what you're doing today and your background as a person of indigenous heritage, as a community that is needing more recognition in the digital connectivity space and how we're represented in these new technology realms is very important. So Andrea, tell us where you are today in your journey as an executive director for Natives in Tech here in the Bay Area and tell us about the organization and how you got into computer science. That is your degree, that is your master, and that is your passion to bring us into these new realms of identity in what I understand through AI and communities really being connected through the interwebs. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Mitchell Gangi Kamu, Kuchichin, Oyashet Andrea Delgado Olson. I'd just like to say hello. Thank you. How are you? And my name's Andrea Delgado Olson. And as you mentioned, I'm the executive director at Natives in Tech. And my journey into tech is a long and windy and twisty and not a straightforward <laughs> path. There have been many challenges, but a lot of growth and inspiration along the way. So I got started in 2014 when I graduated with my undergraduate in education. And in my last semester, I took a computer science class, an intro to web development. I just fell in love with my final project. It was building a website with 
all the things. I was learning everything and just couldn't get enough and wanted to implement everything into my web design. And it was my professor at the time, Dr. Almudena Conrad, who said, I think you're interested in pursuing this and would recommended that I follow that interest and started taking uh, all the foundational classes in computer science at Mills College and ended up getting into their four plus one program to complete a master's in computer science. And just learning from all of my professors and having that mentorship, they've provided opportunities. Dr. Ellen Spurtis was the one who introduced me to the Grace Hopper celebration. And she told us about the conference and recommended that we applied for a scholarship. We missed the scholarship deadline. So a few of us applied for their volunteer hopper registration and four of us got it. So right after midterms, we all brought our luggage, we packed it into the back of our truck, and we drove from Oakland down to Phoenix, Arizona. And that was probably one of the funniest car rides I've ever had in my life. My <laughs> husband drove all of us, and we're talking about midterms and coding and problems, and he was just like, I'm the Penny of the group in the Big Bang. You all are the nerds, and I'm Penny. <laughs> So he photoshopped the group of us when we took a group photo and uh, yes, put everybody's pictures on the cast. So yes, he was Penny. But yeah, <laughs> I love him. He makes everything bearable. When you're at the most stressed at any time, he just eases that. 20 years almost of marriage. I understand that. So Andrea, what I want to talk about is part of your journey and when we had talked earlier and this is part of the narrative of communities here in California, but throughout the nation is how we were relocated and our identities are not recognized as full tribal members. We're not Mexican and how we represent each other. And it's still going on today. But what really impacted me about your story, about how you're in the internet now, you're a champion for identity through these technologies. It really came from something in your past. And you had a recollection of being in the community up in the gold country. I remember you telling me and how your grandparents were hunted as for bounty. Is that correct? People don't realize that this was a real thing not very long ago here in California. And I really feel that we need to recognize that and understand why there's such a deep sentiment. In my mind, there's a direct correlation and there's a mission and a passion as to why you're on this path. And I know I'm making a big reach here, <laughs> but I'd love to talk about that and just bring some awareness to that survival and where we are today in being recognized in the space of technology. So getting into the space, November is, I wouldn't say a celebration. It's more of an honoring and an awareness for folks who are non-native. And it wasn't my grandparents, but definitely relatives of my great-grandparents or grandparents who were in Jackson, California. And there's a creek that runs through the town and they were in a boat fishing and there were non-native 
settlers and on the banks and had shotguns or rifles and were taking shots at them. And in 1851, the governor of California at the time made a declaration of war to exterminate Native Americans. And in 1856, there was a bounty for 25 cents per scalp. And a few years later, the bounty was raised to $5. So it became the new gold rush. We were replacing the gold that had been mined out of the area. And not only did they relocate us out of the area because they wanted access to the gold, but that wasn't enough. There were active genocidal practices to eradicate us. So that was a story that I've heard at a language class that I took up in Jackson from the elder who was teaching the class. That was his experience. And yeah, it wasn't that long ago. That was his experience and he was there teaching that language class. So when folks think about this being, oh, it's so long ago, it really isn't. It's, it's within our lifetime. We're still here and we still have those experiences and the trauma from those experiences. But not only that, it's the boarding schools and the active declarations of war on us that have led to just this trauma. And I think in a time right now of an awakening, of yes. a reawakening and a resurgence of reclaiming what we've lost in my family it's been two generations of being removed from language from cultures traditions and elders and just our ways of being and living and i want to reconnect i was close with my great-grandmother ruby and my daughter is named after her and my grandmother who passed away two years ago and she had dementia late stage dementia and she was speaking more how you get back into the, the languages that you heard growing up. And so she would say more Miwok words later in life. And I can say words here and there. And I really want to be able to say sentences and have conversations and practice with my community. And that's also what got me into tech was a language preservation app to provide access to my kids who always are on a phone or on a tablet or something. So right. It just bridged the feelings and the needs that I had with the technology that I was learning and hoping that it would be a greater need. And it's very important and powerful to understand that the language that our communities is dying. And when we say, oh, isn't Spanish your language? It's no, that is not the language, the original language. That is not the preservation of another culture that we're trying to keep but a lot of people say that's just the way it is and it's no it doesn't have to be that way and so when you talk about the Miwok language and making that distinction of bringing language into technology I'd like to get a sense of like how important is that because we are talking about those genocidal practices that were happening in the gold rush and here technology is considered the new gold rush in a way the new quick money and it's how it's being developed, how we're being represented for people of color, BIPOC communities. It is eradicating our voices off the platforms that really need to be heard. And I was just at a podcasting conference and this was what we were talking about. So can you tell us how important the language connection is to communities and also into the new space of technology and why natives in tech exists. 
So natives in tech, a few of us were on a panel just recently talking about data sovereignty just because of the work that we're doing with language preservation or revitalization and creating tools with technology. But depending on the tools that you use and the licenses that you're using to create your software or whatever development that you're using, creating, you may be signing away your rights to those language resources or recordings or whatever they are. And how do we protect our intellectual property? How do we keep that in the hands of tribal members or tribal nations so that it's not being exploited? Because we are an open source community. We contribute to open source projects. We believe in open source and providing opportunities to contribute to others. So it goes hand in hand to protect that. And it's an interesting conversation. I just moderated the panel, but I was really intentively listening where this is going and how we can create new licenses to protect those rights and keep this information and knowledge with the knowledge keepers and the tribal citizens and their nations. So just bridging that back in my tribe, the Northern Sierra Miwok, I believe we only have one fluent native speaker left. We have recordings, hours and hours of recordings from elders who have passed, and I have access to some of those. But it goes with that data sovereignty. It's in my hands. How do we keep that only within the tribe and not using external extract companies or software? But it's important because when we lose that last elder who's speaking the language, who is our tie to our histories, our language wasn't written down. We don't have a vocabulary. We don't have all of the context of English, of you know, oral histories and stories and language passed down. So using those and AI and machine learning to train these technologies is one facet, but also training how you speak. And I'm touching my face because our palates have been shaped to speak English. And English is spoken at the front of the mouth, I learned. And our language is spoken at the back of the throat and very breathy around a flattened tongue. So if you set your tongue back to the back of your mouth, when I say it almost sounds like an SH. Your S is an SH or even a J. There are some dialects that pronounce it majuxus. But I was speaking with our cultural committee chair, and I said a word that means go to bed, yange. And when he said it, that's for my dog, that's for my kids, go to bed, yange. And when he said it, it sounded just more authentic. And I was like, well, how come when you say it, you sound like this? And when I say it, and he taught me, I don't even know how to describe it, but he also told me that our palates are really not formed the way our ancestors were. So the language will not at right now in this moment be as it was in the past, but hopefully with practice and passing it down to our future generations, my kids and their kids, hopefully we'll get some of that back. Yep. And I think when I started podcasting, it was because of that almost in a different way. And I was sharing with you that I was finding out that my grandfather was 
Native American, and I'm still trying to relocate those roots in a way. But the platforms of podcasting is a way for us to carry on the stories and to share in this communal way. And that's why I think it's so important for all of us in the BIPOC or in all communities of color to understand that it's important for us to share our stories and to get these stories out there because we don't get them told in the right way. They're not even published in the historical books, in the libraries. It takes a lot to get the narrative correct. And I just feel that these podcasts and the technology platforms that we have are giving us such a great opportunity to either build, create, and to share more. And so that's why I think, I don't think, I know having you on this platform and sharing your story and how you're driving that narrative through technology is amazing. So how do we bridge that digital divide? Because that's what's important is that connectivity to get on that quote unquote great highway of information. So what are your thoughts on that in bridging that? Because I think that is a topic that people are not talking about. I am a very shy, not outspoken person. I never have been. And I'm sorry, you met the wrong person. <laughs> it's because of my mentors that it's given me the courage to speak up more. Because in education, I can sit in front of a classroom of 12, 20 students and be perfectly fine speaking to them. But getting into the tech space, not only was it a new career, it was just a new world and one that wasn't made for me, one that wasn't made for us. And that was the whole reason of me starting Native American Women in Computing. I wanted to get support and just hear others' experiences, how they got into tech, what they're doing in tech, and just meet someone who can relate to the stories that I bring with my authentic self. Because anywhere that I go, you're getting the whole me. I'm not going to hold back. <laughs> I That's why you're here. said <laughs> unapologetically native but getting into these spaces just made me realize with the help of my director at the time pushing me into situations pushing me up on stage moderating panels that visibility is so important and talking about what you do what you're learning what your passions are it resonates with people, no matter how minuscule you think it is. Because honestly, at the end of the day, I'm just Andrea. And I know I hold this title of executive director. And with that comes a lot of responsibilities. And I'm finding my footing with that. But I'm always going to be learning. I'm going to make mistakes. And tech is not one of them. I love what I do, but I want to inspire more. I want that 2014 me at the Grace Hopper celebration, I want to see more people that look like me and up on stage and being visible, winning awards, being highlighted and celebrated and all of the things that come with success that we're seeing everybody but us. We're always being categorized as resilient and yes, we're resilient, but we shouldn't have to be. We should just be able to succeed without being a native success or whatever it is, whatever the caption is. But my work right now is 
to outline programs that I see the greatest need. It's access to materials, laptops, phones for app development and web development or access to internet. So you can use software as a service and just somebody who can be an instructor, be a mentor, and be somebody that you can reach out to later on in life. And we're tying these into some camps that we're planning to launch uh, next year. So Natives in Tech and Indigenous in AI, we're planning to do a coding camp and hopefully the following years as well and grow and expand it. But this will be our pilot camp. But more access like that and partnering with organizations who have the means to have a bigger impact but making sure that all of our technologists are visible and we don't boast about ourselves and we weren't raised that way. So it's against the green to really talk about ourselves and the work we're doing and highlight our accomplishments. But it's so desperately needed because representation matters. We come with holistic approaches and a different perspective of how this will impact. We have pipelines, the tech pipeline. Can we please use pathway or another terminology? Because that's just a trigger word for Native folks. And while it's not my experience firsthand, I stand in solidarity with all of the water protectors and all the work that they're doing and all the trauma that, that has been inflicted on them. It's same in the Bay Area, Shell Mound. It's just bringing awareness. It's right in our backyard no matter where you are. But understanding that also in a workplace when you're trying to increase your diversity, your equity, and your inclusion, you also have to make space for belonging. And we're just not going to fit in a box. And just because it's November and it's Native American Heritage Month, the onus is not on us to inform you or to educate you. Take it upon yourself to... Do some research or even ask the person if they're okay with you know, sharing experiences. And when it comes from an authentic place, I will more than likely 99% of the time say yes. It's just so important to create the space, listen, and learn. And start being that ally and advocate to change what your kids are being taught. How you're speaking about Native Americans. Your own biases and stereotypes that you have grown up with just sit back and collect monthly checks or that we grew up in teepees or whatever the stereotype is just reframe your thinking re-educate yourself and look around in your surrounding areas and learn about the people who are the first inhabitants the stewards of that land mm -hmm. and they are there they are still there. Absolutely. The way that things are presented to us in a commercial fashion is just disgusting. And the fact that when folks do try to educate themselves, there's no correct information that can be found. Or you have to go, like you said, an ally and partner with the communities, right? There are so few books that are out there that are very telling of certain situations that have happened here in the United States and why it's very important for us to be represented in these digital spaces. One of the things that doesn't get talked about enough is how in this time in the 1960s and 70s, even before that, Native Americans were trying to reclaim their land. The Alcatraz ceremonies, right? The takeover of Alcatraz Island. Most people don't know about that. There's a ceremony every year at this time, but due to COVID, 
they had to cancel, but it is in commemorance and honoring of the folks that were there. And it's very telling in the story. It's a wonderful piece of history of folks reclaiming their land. These are things that people don't want to hear because it's so brutal and it is traumatizing. But that is where coming into these spaces of technology where things live forever in this new realm. That's why it's so important to get the narrative out there. There's a lot of groups that are trying to push forward with their narrative of Indigenous folks. And now even big media is trying to get into it and highlight it with the new series of Reservoir Dogs. It doesn't erase the fact that it's, yes, good, but at the same time, bad. But I want to hear your thoughts on that real quick. Yeah, so I watched Reservoir Dogs. I, is it Reservation Dogs? dogs? <laughs> it's Reservation Dogs. Tell us about Reservation Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Not Reservoir Dogs, it's dog, Reservation Dogs. Yeah, and I even have my kids watch it. You know, anytime there's actually a Native or Indigenous person on the screen, I want my kids like watching I got my son the fry bread power shirt you know, after watching Smoke Signals. I love and that. Reservation Dogs, I liked it. But talking with a friend of mine, she goes, is that really, is that accurate? Do, do people really live like that? That's so depressing. And so hearing from a non-Native perspective, not getting the humor or the context, it just opens up for another conversation. But can't we just have one thing where we can enjoy the humor of others and see us on TV? But I just hope that it leads to more and more celebratory how we are thriving right now and the work that we're doing. As a lot of the talking engagements that I do is not only education, but I get to highlight and talk about the work that we're doing. And I love that. I love hearing about the things that we're building and the technologies that we're using and using to advance. Yeah, I just, I really hope that we're given the platform and shine the much needed bright light on, on our communities. Yes. Andrea, I love everything that is happening at this moment in media for Indigenous communities. But as you were mentioning, the opportunities to build and create things on these platforms or how Indigenous communities that are creating pathways into technology spaces. Talk a little bit about those that you said you're excited about creating through Natives in Tech. Love to hear more about that. So the things that we have that are available right now, we've partnered with an organization called New Camp, and we're offering a Natives in Tech scholarship. So they're actually a really reasonably priced tech boot camp that has four different options for length and content. And so Natives in Tech has donated funds to even further reduce the cost of that boot camp. So that application is open right now, and I can share that link. I don't have it on me right now. But if you go to newcamp.co and go to finances or funding, then it'll say scholarships, and it'll be listed under the scholarships, the Natives in Tech. So that's happening right now. We've also partnered with code.org, did a lot of panels, keynotes, just speaking engagements with code.org. So I'm looking forward to what that partnership looks like for the future and what opportunities can come of it. We also have been working with Fairstream and on November 11th, we did a Hire Natives event and it was very well attended and people could come if they're looking for jobs, meet the 
recruiters, have one-on-one -on -one sessions. It's a really great platform. And so I'm speaking with them to look at what we can do in the future to just provide more opportunities. It's just a lot of meeting with new organizations and companies, but it's hard when they come and they really have no idea where to start and they're looking to me for that. And you need to first look at what your organization's goals are, what your objectives are, and how you're going to support the folks that you recruit. I'm more than happy to work with people, but I think Natives in Tech might have a consulting side in the near future. <laughs> Just for uh, providing those resources and a one-on-one -on -one where you're really looking to get started, I think there's not really much out there in the ways for helping organizations create a better fit and inclusivity for natives to join. We're natives in tech. We're at these big tech organizations and we're the fraction of a percent of representation trying to make change and enact change internally. But if you need more support, that's where we all come in. We can be your sounding board. We can, you know, offer our experiences, commiserate what worked with us, what worked, didn't work with us. I've used my community as a sounding board all the time and just love the conversations that we have going on in our, our Slack community. And it's open to natives. I think allies can join, but they can only join certain channels. I know that we have a few more conversations with other organizations, but just to provide more opportunities. And so hopefully with funding comes more programs, comes yes. more hiring, because right yes. now I am the only <laughs> paid staffer at Natives in Tech. So it's all volunteer based right now. And I have the best board ever. I love them dearly. So what I saw recently and what happens every year is Natives in Tech has a conference online that just started. It's all on YouTube for free. You can access it. So anyone that would like to see the topics of discussion that happened, there was one last year and there's one that just recently passed this year. And it's on YouTube, Natives in Tech channel. What happened and what I saw is talking about the experiences we're bringing into technology and holding the product teams and something that I'm very passionate about Then I talk about all the time is how we hold these companies and teams accountable to make sure representation and is correct, that the artifacts of what really happens or how we bring our authentic self into the space and giving us that creative space to really represent and to have a, a voice at the table for these products in technology. Gaming, I saw was one of them. AI is another area. You have some wonderful folks working in those areas and really creating some amazing discussions. And then also the point that you touched on that's very important is access to the digital highway and how do we create that in the education systems for communities that don't have that in the space, specifically the elementary area, because that's where they're most impacted. And the thing that I find interesting is that they can have a cell phone and everyone else doesn't understand what a privilege it is to have access through the phone. And it's other than just social media. There's a lot tied to information access that goes way beyond social media. It's just global connectivity to other communities. But I would love to hear, like you were the facilitator and talk about your folks in, in that space and what the amazing things that they're doing. 
conference was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was right up to the wire. It was wonderful working with Johnny J, the MC. She went above and beyond helping me out on the back end with videos and editing and everything. So I cannot give her enough love. But all of the speakers were just phenomenal. I don't know, finding whatever I can do to help boost that confidence because it did not come through on those videos. They were all just <laughs> so awesome. Kudos to all of them for all of their presentations and the work that they're doing. I'm not going to give away <laughs> all of the juicy details, but getting all of those videos beforehand and being able to watch was just more inspiring I'm on the executive side of the house now, but I want to get my hands dirty and build some cool stuff. Yeah. John Romero and talking about a life in games was just nostalgic. Somebody said in the chat, I'm just getting nostalgic. I remember playing these games and it was such a cool journey to hear him talk. And then Lauren Denson and her presentation on burps and farts was awesome. (laughs) I don't want to go there, but yes. (laughs) My kids were in the room and they kept hearing burps and farts. And I'm like, it's not what you think. But yeah. And then Kari Noe and oh my gosh, Monigar and Natalie Contreras and Nicole Archambault and just all of the work that they're doing, inspiring folks to get into tech because that was one of the tracks that was sponsored by Red Hat. So I do also want to thank our sponsors. It was just so interesting to hear about other people's journeys getting in. Rarely is it a straight shot from high school to college to a tech job. So hearing the twists and turns and, you know, pathways that took them through this space to get to this space is awesome. And then the pre-conference workshop with Michael and Keone, they did the presentation part in the very beginning, and I know it wasn't recorded, So next year, if we do something similar, y'all have to register to attend because we're not sharing that. But then we got to do a demo. They did a demo and coding, and it was just nice to have that on the screen again. So yeah, I'm looking forward to next year. I'm already planning it. We've already had our retrospective. So yeah, it's just going to start with planning meetings. And I hope to get more content and just make it bigger and broader. And yeah. Yep, we got to plug you in somehow into all these other existing global networks that might want to, you know, partner or share with you. How can we get in touch with you to support you in the next conference and also maybe partnerships to help build a funding pathway for you to hire more folks? This space is very important and I want people to be able to reach out to you and to follow. We're on Twitter at Natives in Tech. You can find us on, oh gosh, everything. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Just look up Natives in Tech. And if you go to our website, nativesintech.org, we have community. And under there is a list of everywhere we are with the blog and the forum. So I did start a forum to have conversations with the speakers from conference if folks want to go in there and add a reply or a question then we can start driving that conversation continue it on until the next conference but like you said youtube there are past meetups that have taken place there are i think there's a recording of me for native women equal pay day with k center 
and just a lot of other cool content in, in addition to 2019, 2020, and now 2021 conference. To support us in the work that we're doing, we have an open collective where folks can contribute as monthly funders, backers, supporters. There are a few, I think, partner sponsor opportunities. If it's like a one-time, I think it's a thousand or three thousand, depending on which level. I do plan to launch the 2022 conference collective pretty soon just to get that up and start driving awareness. And then we'll open it up later on next year for folks if they want to contribute to the conference. Awesome. So it sounds like there are things already in the works with some nonprofits here in the Bay Area. I know the Kapoor Center very well. They are an amazing group to be partnered with and they really do help on the social justice impact side. So I want to ask one thing before we leave, and that is how Natives in Tech got started and why it's so important to keep this organization going. Because you're still in the very beginning stages, and I want to put it out there that it has to live on. It does. I love this story, honestly. So Natives in Tech got started after... An article was written by Women of Silicon Valley in a Medium post, and it was titled, Just 18 Really Awesome Natives in STEM You Should Know. And so there were 18 of us highlighted in this article, myself, Adam, Danielle Forward, and, you know, 15 other folks. And Adam just had this epiphany, like, I didn't know these people existed and we should all stay in touch and talk about what we're doing. And the next day started a Slack workspace and added us all. So that was the very start. And Adam has just created such an amazing collective of folks who are just brilliant and engaging and helpful and supportive. We've grown to, I believe it's over 120 plus members with more to come. More are coming and asking for Slack invitations and just joining all of our platforms, subscribing to our YouTube and following us on social media. So it's great, but I'm looking forward to expanding that because we can't just be one of the only organizations. There are so few and far between. There's ACES and Natives in Tech and partnerships and support would be great. We're going to be looking and doing a really heavy push and applying to grants and fundraising just to support the operations and program development and just all the general things so that we can hire some more folks to do this work because right now it's myself and a team of volunteers. So we can really use any kind of support that we can get to keep us going because we're not going anywhere. No. <laughs> Funded or unfunded, we're not going anywhere. Right. It's creating the pathway. And I think that once you start to find the other communities to partner with you to give you the legs to keep going is going to be amazing. How long has Native in Tech been, like you said, it just started? So has it only been three years? So 2017, and then we established okay. 501c3 status in 2019. So it's been a couple of years almost. Okay, so you're a fully established nonprofit. So we just need to get folks staffed to keep, you know, the engine running. That is your calling, and it is something that I think you were put on this earth to do and to keep 
the language alive. And I feel that very strongly. And this is why I have this platform is to keep that going for all of us, especially women, because we are the talkers. So can you tell us what your goal is in the organization and give us your long-term thought and leadership outlook for the organization? Education. So not just youth, but also folks who are interested in career shifts. That's what happened with me, 17 years of teaching. And then all of a sudden, here I am in tech, just really providing resources, opportunities. I hate calling them mentors, but just somebody who is a supportive person who can be there to chat with you, to help you, advise you. So in addition to that, allyship, and that goes hand in hand with that consulting side. How do you support? How do you be a better supporter? What can you do in your organizations or on a personal level? So programs for education and navigating the tech journey because it's hard. There are so many different facets and trying to find your interest and where you fit in can be difficult. I'm still trying to navigate it. (laughs) So Those are three things off of the top of my head. Education, professional development, allyship, I guess it was four, consulting. And I guess a fifth would be partnerships and really establishing those and how we can partner with organizations because we're really going to be selective on who we choose to support us. We don't want folks who are an organization that is extractive or causing harm to our communities. So yeah, it's it's going to be a journey and it's going to be growth for everyone involved. So hopefully we can have a bigger impact on organizations who are looking to do better. Yeah, they have to. So I just want to wrap this up and just thank you for being a part of Latinas from the block to the boardroom. We're all together in that sphere of women with voices that we have been repressed and we've been made to fit into spaces and to get to areas and build a bridge for younger generations and to keep the movement moving forward that we're stronger together. Collectively, it's a powerful voice for women of color. So that's what I wanted to leave with. And I admire you because it isn't easy And it's a journey that we can help support you in any way. And I hope this platform and this podcast really can elevate that along with your other areas of communication, because language is important. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about what we've been doing, the journey to get here. I'm hoping that this will inspire some others to explore their own pathways into tech and always feel free to reach out. I'm really active on LinkedIn, connecting with folks and just talking about not only how they can support us, but what we can do in return. It's a reciprocal partnership. Thank you to Natives in Tech for bringing me on and believing in me and that I can do this work and take the organization forward. I couldn't do it without all of them. And for everybody who's partnering with us now and future partners, and just thank you. You're welcome. And we're going to support you. So I appreciate everything that is happening in technology. And the more women of the communities that come in to change the space, it's just creating momentum of powerful, influential, new ways of thinking. Maybe they're not new. Maybe they've just always been there, but we've just never been allowed to share them. They've evolved. 
Yes, yes. So I'm very grateful to have you on the show. And thank you so much for your time. And let's keep it going and support you and Natives in Tech. I'm all in. I'm all in. All the things. All (laughs) All the things. All the feels. I'm all in. (laughs) Thank you, Andrea. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you, Andrea, for joining us at Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. You can find Andrea and all the information regarding Natives in Tech at nativesintech.org. And you can look under their projects page to see what projects they are currently working on. Or you can learn more about the conferences that they hold every year in November. If you'd like to follow them on Instagram, you can at Natives in Tech. And also, if you'd like to learn more about Andrea, you can follow her on LinkedIn at Andrea Delgado slash Olson. This podcast was mixed, mastered, and audio engineered by Robert Lopez of Mixed by Crates and sponsored by 5E Leadership and Marketing. If you'd like to learn more about how to elevate your business in 2022, go to latinasb2b.marketing under the resources page and learn more about the technology platforms that we use to produce this podcast and also to elevate your business. You can also reach out to us for services that will help elevate your marketing and sales strategies in 2022. That's latinasb2b.marketing. Gracias.